my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much, Claire, and good morning, everyone. It's nice to see you and to be able to welcome you. I'll add my welcome to Pete's. It's lovely to have you here with us at St. Stephen's this morning. And um, just before we get into Psalm 32, I'm just going to break my rule. And a couple of weeks ago, I said no more notices at communion services, and I have to break it. It's New Year's resolutions, isn't it? That's what's going on. It's because it's a one-off thing. Um, uh, you can see as you look around, we're, we're always down on numbers in January. Please do. That means we've always got a number of visitors. Please do. I look forward to these services, uh, not because we've got a lot of our people away, but because there's opportunities to see people that we don't normally. Please make the most of those opportunities at morning tea. And in particular, I'm asking you to look out for visitors. I saw a couple of visitors last week who were looking for someone to speak to, and there wasn't really anyone. So if we could be on the lookout for people this morning, that would be uh, really good. Uh, Secondly, uh, this week and next week are the last opportunities to give for our um, overseas mission, our Christmas appeal. So if you want to do that and you haven't yet, then Margaret's probably the, the person to see after the service this week or next week. Next week, too, we've got a number of baptisms that we're going to be doing in the pool. So make sure you're here. If you're normally a little bit late to church, try not to be next week because... We'll all over be over at the pool for a little while before we come back here. So, um, And that'll be a great reason to rejoice so you don't want to miss it. And then the last one is that, so that's next week. In two weeks' time, we've got our church camp. Now, the registrations for church camp have finished, um, but we're aware that it's kind of January and there may be people who've been wanting to get things in but didn't get the chance and who weren't able to. Camp is one of those things. If you're anything like me, you, you never look forward to camp, but you're really thankful afterwards. It's a great time to spend time with the Lord, to spend time getting to know people in the church family afterwards uh, uh, at the same time. So uh, if you haven't registered for camp but you'd like to, I'm told there's still two bunk rooms available, but really it's for tenting. One. We're down to one. Uh, it's for tenting options or day visitors, but Miriam Crowley, do you want to, Miriam's the person to speak to after the service if you want to go to camp and you're not yet registered. We'd love to have you out there. Well, there's not going to be church here on that Sunday. It's going to be out there, so um, please do join us for that at least. I'm going to pray. Let's pray. <clears throat> 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for a lovely morning. We thank you for the privilege it is to gather as your children, as brothers and sisters in Christ, and to think about this wonderful psalm. Father, it's great in January to spend some time looking through particular psalms, being encouraged, sometimes challenged. And I pray this morning, as we look at Psalm 32, as we think about some of the issues that David raised, that you would speak to us by your Spirit, knowing where each one of us is as we stand before you, knowing our hearts and our lives. Please work amongst us, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're looking at a psalm that contains a wonderful truth that I think the world doesn't understand. It's so countercultural to how the world thinks and behaves, uh, so different from what people are, are raised to expect and think that for many people in this world, they just don't get it. But I think it also challenges the attitude and belief of some Christians. So today's an interesting psalm for us to spend a few minutes thinking about. Uh, let me show you why it's so different from what we might expect. Uh, as you can see at the, the beginning of the psalm, we can see that this is another psalm of King David. That's who wrote it. If you were here last week, you'll remember that I said, this is a man who knew very well good times and bad times. But in this particular psalm, he's full of joy. You can't mess that up. He's almost bursting with happiness. Have a look at the last verse. Dave, can we have the last verse, verse 11, and see what the take-home message of his psalm is. Rejoice in the Lord, be glad you righteous, sing all you who are upright in heart. This is a psalm of rejoicing and being glad and singing. And it's not just that he finishes on, on an upbeat, maybe he starts kind of low and then builds up. He starts upbeat as well. If we look at verse 1, remember the best interpretation of the word blessed is happy. So verse 1 is, happy is the man. Happy, verse 2, happy is the person. So this is a psalm about being happy. This is a psalm about rejoicing and being glad and our, our hearts kind of bursting with song to the Lord. So why can we be happy? What do we have to rejoice in? What brings gladness and makes our hearts kind of burst out singing? Well, this is the challenging bit. Because this whole psalm is about what? Sin. The whole psalm that da of, this, of David here is about him confessing his sin, admitting his sin, acknowledging his sin, casting his sin upon the Lord. And yet the result is happiness, being blessed, joy, bursting with song. Do you see why this is such a challenging message to so many people? Our world today doesn't want to talk about sin. We always pull away from talking about, we don't want to talk about right and wrong. We don't want to talk about personal responsibility. The world doesn't want to get into this because we think it will mess with people's self-esteem. It'll make people feel terrible. What, what the world wants to do is to remove guilt. Don't, you don't have to feel guilty about that. That's just you being you. Or don't, don't, don't talk about other people's guilt. That's being judgmental. And so the world encourages people today to go easy on themselves or to point the finger of blame somewhere else. It's not your fault. It was the way you were raised or it's the lack of opportunities that you had or we, we don't think it's positive or healthy or good to focus on personal sin and guilt. And yet David seems to think something very different. He's focusing exactly on his personal sin and guilt and thinks it's brilliant. It brings happiness. It brings being blessed, joyfulness, singing, good times. That's very strange to the world's ears. But, as I said, even some Christians find this odd. 
uh, talking about sin is always thought to be bringing up the negative, always depressing, always perhaps even destructive. I've heard comments uh, occasionally even here at St. Stephen's uh, asking about our services. Why do we confess our sins every week, Jay? Isn't that a bit negative? Or, I I like church, but I don't like it when we talk about sin. Because I come to church to be lifted up, not to be dragged down. Have you ever heard that or perhaps felt that yourself? Well, isn't David's attitude completely different? David doesn't shy away from a difficult topic. He doesn't think that focusing on his own sin and guilt and wrongdoing will lead to a huge downer or low self-esteem. In fact, he thinks the exact opposite. Verse 1, blessed, happy is the man whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed, happy is the woman whose sin the Lord does not count against her and in whose spirit is no deceit. David is convinced that having sin dealt with properly Admitted, acknowledged, taken to the Lord, forgiven. Not, not, not ignored, not minimized, not overlooked, but taken to the Lord and dealt with properly. He's convinced that that is a life-giving blessing. It's a happiness. It's a reason to rejoice and sing. And I hope that by the end of the next few minutes, you will agree with him. You'll see that he's right. King David got it right. Who would have thought? Now, I want you to remember as we, as we go through the psalm who David is. Because again, you might be sitting there thinking, well, it's all very well for David to feel okay about his sin. He's the one after God's own heart. Probably the only way he let God down was um, not mowing the lawn on time or that kind of thing. That's not David. David committed adultery. David didn't just commit adultery. David then manipulated things so that the husband of the woman that he dishonored God with was killed. David had every reason to feel absolute guilt. He had every reason to be deeply ashamed, to feel like maybe God could never love him again or ever see him in a positive light again. Don't ever think that David didn't know what he was talking about when he wrote about sin in this psalm. But the same sinner David can write this psalm of joy and blessing about his sin. And I hope you can see why and rejoice in the same way this morning. Well, let's have a look at the psalm itself. Uh, Notice how David describes sin in the first couple of verses because he actually uses three different words and each word would have conjured up a different picture or image of sin for the original hearers. Uh, First in verse 1, he calls them transgressions. Uh, That's the image of rebellion. It's about resisting the ruler. Uh, Later in verse 1, he uses the word sins, which is the image of wandering away, not being where you should, you just kind of head off on your own direction. And then in verse 2, although our translation says sin again, it's a different word, and the better translation is the old-fashioned word, iniquity. And it's talking about the inward crookedness of a person. So he doesn't just say sin, David, here. He talks about rebellion. He talks about wandering away. He talks about inward crookedness. And I love those different images and pictures of sin because sometimes we just think of sin as a a kind of breaking arbitrary rules. Now, sin has got an element of that, but it's more than that. It's relational and it's emotional. It's rebelling against our king and creator, us doing what we want instead of what he wants from us. It's us wandering away from him and away from where we should be. It's about that internal kind of conflict that goes on within each of us where we want to do the right thing, but we don't, and we we don't want to do the wrong thing, but we do. And it's about breaking relationship and turning our back on the one who knows us and knows what's best for us. So it's bigger than we sometimes make it. 
But then to go with those three different words and images of sin, David gives three different words and images of what the Lord does to our sin if we, if we deal with it with him. So in verse 1 it says, transgressions are forgiven. And the image of forgiven there in that place is of a weight being lifted. If you can imagine walking all day with a huge pack on, it's the, it's the burden being taken off you. That's forgiveness. Then at the end of verse 1 it says, uh, <coughs> sins are covered. And the idea there is of an ugly blemish or a stain being covered so that you can't see it anymore. Uh, then in verse 2 it says that th that's the, iniquity, the iniquity is not counted against them. That's the removal of a debt. That's the not being guilty language. So do you see what he's saying here? Blessed, happy is the person who's got the weight of that guilt taken off them, who's got the blemish, that ugliness out of their eyes, who, who knows that they don't have to fe feel that it's their fault or it's counted against them anymore. It's great news. For some of us even here this morning, the weight of our guilt and sin is almost crippling. We're so bogged down by it, so aware of it, that it threatens to crush us, almost physically. In a couple of verses, David will talk about his bones wasting away. And I don't think he's just being poetic there. It can be so crushed. Well, David writes here, blessed is he who has that burden lifted off. And that's anyone who turns to God. For some of us, we can't actually look ourselves in the mirror because all we see is the blemish and the ugliness of our sin. It's like people, I don't know if you've ever met people, but I've met some very good-looking people, but when they look in the mirror, all they can see is the kind of minute spot that no one else can see when they look at them, but that, that's all they can see. And for some of us, our sin and our guilt is so, it's all we can see in ourselves. And David says here, it will be covered up. You know, that ugliness is not there anymore, it's gone, it's... Or for some, the knowledge of our guilt and that it counts against us when we stand before the Lord, that can be so overwhelming. What David says here is it's not counted against you anymore. Do you see what David's saying? The weight is removed. The blemish is put out of sight. The consequences are not on us anymore. And so happy is the person, blessed is the person for whom the Lord has done this. And as I speak to you this morning, I hope you know the joy of this. It's life-changing. When you know what a, a failure you've been, when you've been weighed down by particular sin or specific sin or a certain guilt or unable to see anything but the blemish when you think about yourself or you look at yourself or when you've felt that guilt about, well, how could the Lord ever love me when he knows what, what I'm like? There is nothing better to know the absolute forgiveness the removal of that burden, the covering of that ugliness, that it's not counted against you. It is absolute freedom. It's life and it's health. And friends, you won't find that anywhere else in the world. The world, when it tries to deal with sin and guilt, none of its solutions work. The world says, don't feel guilty. But deep down, you know, you are. The world says, well, take your mind off it with booze or drugs or sex or work, but that only ever papers over it for a time. Or it says, blame others. You know, don't put the finger of blame on yourself. Again, you can, there are certain stuff you cannot shake and you can't point the finger somewhere else. David says, do you want to be happy? Do you want to have that burden taken off you and that ugliness removed and it not counted against you? Go to the Lord. He's the only one who can deal with it and he will deal with it and it works. Well, that's the good news that's on offer for any person who comes to the Lord. But then I think the psalm, the psalm does more than this, but it gives three ways that you can endanger this. 
Three things you don't want to do because this is true. And the first one is, don't be silent. Verses 3 to 5. Do you see that there? Verse 3, David says that when he kept silent, his bones wasted away through his groaning all day long. This is David. He can't even speak. He can only groan. He's reduced to that. The, The key, though, is his silence. There's a time David's describing when he didn't cry out to the Lord. He didn't confess. He didn't admit his sin. And it ate him up. He wasted away. It had such a heaviness on his life that he couldn't escape from it. I'm not sure there's anything more destructive for people than denied or undealt with guilt. And again, some of you here this morning will know exactly what I'm talking about. And David says he was wasting away. It was killing him. This is where I get, I think he's talking in some ways about a physical reality. It was doing him damage. Don't be silent. Don't pretend. Don't deny. Cry out to the Lord. It's funny, you may um, differ with me on this, but I I think our society is much more open than we were 20 years ago when, when I was kind of growing up. When people, I think, bottled things up more and shared less, or maybe it was just me, but I think that's right. Today, in person, and especially on social media, we share everything. Uh, the meal we're eating, the event we're going to, the successes in our life, the selfie we've taken. And we're more open about more substantial things as well. I think people talk about their feelings more and what they're struggling with. And But I wonder whether our guilt and failings is still the one thing we don't often post on Facebook as much. We don't kind of uh, make plain or clear a hurt that we've caused another person or an ongoing pattern of behaviour which we're ashamed of or we're much more private. But David says, don't be silent, cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord, admit it openly because he will never turn his back on you if you come to him. He will never turn his back on you if you come to him. And he knows it anyway. So why wouldn't you cry out to him? It's not like you're hiding anything or fooling him. He will never turn his back on you. Cry out to him. Do you see when David says he was silent, verse 4, the hand of the Lord felt heavy upon him. The hand of the Lord should be a wonderful thing. But because he hadn't cried out to God yet, the hand of the Lord felt heavy on him. And again, some of you will know what this means. When we haven't cried out to the Lord, our, our guilt and sin is such an anchor for our souls in a bad way. It's a burden. If you think of that statue of Atlas carrying the, the world on his shoulders, for a Christian who doesn't share their sin with the Lord, the hand of the Lord is heavier than that. But then do you see what David does? Verse 5. If you don't remember anything else about the psalm, remember verse 5. But then I acknowledged my sin to you. And I didn't cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. He stopped being silent. He admitted it. He confessed it openly. And he receives the wonderful blessing of forgiveness, of the weight being removed, of the ugliness being covered, of the the guilt not being counted to him. He's washed clean. It's so good. So don't be silent. Secondly, Don't be slow. Verse 6. Therefore let everyone who's godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. The key bit I want to emphasize here is the first bit. Pray to the Lord while he may be found. If you know this morning you haven't turned to him yet with your guilt and sin, don't waste the opportunity. 
We don't know when the last chance may come. There's no uh, assurance of future opportunities. Last week we looked at a psalm which talks about death. If you weren't here last week, listen to it online. It's, it's a great psalm and it's worth listening to. But we never know when that may come upon us and things can change and we won't get another opportunity. But it's not just death that comes. Sometimes people think, well, I'll get round to that later. I'll get round to sorting things out with God in the future. But now I just want to enjoy what I'm doing. You beware that kind of thing. Because what happens is we get so used to living away from the Lord. We get so used to not turning to him and crying out and admitting that our hearts get harder and the, the, the eventuality of that happening becomes less and less and less, humanly speaking. Pray to him today while he may be found. Pray to him now, right now. Come and see me after the service so that we can talk about it. It's too important not to. Don't delay. Don't be slow. And when you do, the wonderful truth in these verses is brilliant. We're then protected. We are his and he will look after us. I love the wording in verse 7. You are my hiding place, he says to God. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Why, why is that so good? Well, because back in the Garden of Eden, when sin first came into the world and ruined things, what was the first thing Adam and Eve did after they sinned? They hid from God. Again, such a silly thing to do. As if you, that's the worst strategy in hide-and-seek of all time, trying to hide from God. But that's what they did. And now that's the choice every single person has in this world. You can hide from God or you can hide in God. You can hide from God, which, as I say, never works, and is awful because what you're doing is you're cutting yourself off from the one who made you and the relationship you were created for and the one who loves you most. You're actually hiding away from what you've been made for. Or you can hide in God. So don't be silent. Don't be slow. The third one from verses 8 to 9 is don't be stubborn. We're not to be like the horse or the mule who resist going the right way, who resist admitting our sin or turning to the Lord with it. Now, I'm not actually going to go into that one. There's more I could say, but uh, I need to wrap things up, especially because it's communion. But do you see the three warnings? Don't be silent. Don't be slow. Don't be stubborn. And then you're the blessed person of verse 1 and 2. Then you're the person... If you've done verse 5, you're the one who enjoys verses 9 and 10. Many are the woes of the wicked... But the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. Do you see what's incredible there? Those who confess their sin, turn to him, are not counted now among the wicked. Make no mistake about it, David was wicked. Make no mistake about it, I'm wicked. But if we do verse 5, confess to the Lord then we're not counted in that way anymore. In the Lord, there is unfailing love. The weight is gone. The covering is over. It's not credited to us as guilt anymore. And that's for every single person. It's for you here this morning. No matter who you are or what you've done, no matter how low you think you've sunk, no matter how many times you've repeated a certain thing you're ashamed of, no matter how much you've hurt someone, caused pain or injury or the seriousness of your sin, whoever you are, if you take the step, don't be silent, don't be slow, don't be stubborn, turn to him, confess to him, you will receive his unfailing love and his full forgiveness. You will receive his love surrounding you. And then you will, verse 11, rejoice and be glad and sing. 
Because you will know the one who makes you, knows you perfectly, but loves you completely. And so I want to close by saying, do you see why it's actually good to go on about sin as Christians? David's got it right. As David shows here, it doesn't actually lead to a downer and despair. It's the opposite. And so I want to finish by spelling out why it's good to be upfront about sin and deal with it honestly and talk about it a lot rather than ignore it or pretend it's not there because it weakens our church when we do that. We think we're making Christianity more uh, attractive. We're not. We're weakening it. That's why I love it that we confess our sins every week here at St. Stephen's. So here's a couple of reasons why it's good to be doing this. Firstly, when we confess our sins together and talk about sin, it makes us all equal. Equality is one of the current buzzwords uh, around. Equality in all sorts of area, and it's a current buzzword because we feel like we can't get equality. Let me tell you why why equality is hard to find or, or to achieve, because we're all different. You can't get full equality because I can't be an all black. Until I'm an all black, there won't be equality. There won't be equality because I can't be a ginger. I want ginger hair. I I do ginger jokes because deep down I want ginger hair and I can't. I can't have the job that I want. There is no true equality. We're all different except for one thing. We're all sinners. And when we say the confession today, as Pete just led us through a couple of minutes ago, what we're acknowledging is no one here is better than anyone else. We're all equal. No one here is better in God's eyes. No one here is closer to him. No one here is his favorite above the others. And that's a really good thing to know. But it's not that we're all better than we thought we were. We're actually worse than we thought we are. But that's good to know too. We've all got the same guilt. We've all got the same shame. And we don't therefore have to pretend or deceive or lie. Because God knows us. We've confessed it. He's forgiven us. That is so freeing and so great. You don't have to pretend to be something else to anyone else here because we're all the same. If you've ever lied or been a liar, you'll know how awful it is because you're always playing a role. You're always desperately trying to remember what the story was so that you can be consistent. You're worried that people don't know the real you because you've been lying. And more than that, you're worried they wouldn't love you if they knew the real you. All that's blown out the window as a Christian. Because you can be open about your sin and open about what Jesus has done for you. Because you can be honest and know that God knows you completely, your heart, your actions, your thoughts, but loves you perfectly. There's nothing like that. It's so freeing and liberating. It also brings, once you know we're all on the same level, which is probably a bit lower than we thought, that brings humility. And Christians, we can do with more humility. I think Christians can be bad at putting ourselves higher and looking down on others, and it makes coming to Jesus worse. And I think what happens is as we follow the Lord, our lives change to live more and more for him, so we start kind of having a better life, and somehow along the line that changes to looking down on others who don't look like us. And shame on us when it happens. I used this illustration a couple of years ago, but I still think it works. Uh, A couple of years ago, I got one of the best presents I've ever been given. Someone anonymously gave me a uh, membership for the Coru Lounge. And um, I don't know who did it. They gave me something which has been an enormous... But It was when I started doing the FCA uh, work, and I was going to have to do more travelling, and someone did that. It was incredible. And what it means is you can go to a private lounge when you're in an airport. Now, I'd been given an undeserved gift. 
Does that make sense? It was an undeserved gift, a bit like salvation. Now, what happened when I first went in there? Well, I felt totally out of place, totally out of place. I was dressed in my normal kind of shabby way. I could feel every eye on me. I thought they were all thinking the same thing. Who let this guy in? Um, what does he think he's doing? Did someone check his credential? You know, that kind of thing. Can I sit there? Uh, am I allowed to have a drink of that? Or eat? I just felt totally awkward and out of place. But my first time there, I had to spend three hours there. By the end of the three hours, I was feeling slightly more comfortable. The next time I went into one of the lounges, I knew what it was more like. And so I dressed a little bit more appropriately. I knew what the behaviour kind of had to be. I felt a little bit more comfortable. Do you know, by the third time I went into a Coral Lounge, as people walked in, I looked at them and I thought, who let you into my lounge? <laughs> How shameful of me. And yet don't we do that so easily as Christians? And we forget the grace we've been given. And we forget that we're all at the same place and we suddenly start to look down on other people. How dare we? Remembering our own sin regularly, openly, is a great thing to humble us, to remind us we're not as good as we think we are, and we're certainly no better than anyone else. So it makes us equal. Do you see that? But the second thing it does, it doesn't just make us equal lower than we think, it then it leads us to look up to Jesus, the one who's above us. And it leads us to look up to Jesus and his cross and what he's done for us more thankfully, more passionately, uh, and, and rejoicing more. To think about sin without Jesus is awful. It does lead to despair and it is a downer. But with Jesus, everything changes. And this is where you and I are blessed in a way that David, who wrote the psalm, had no idea. So, uh, David spoke about his joy and rejoicing and all that kind of thing, but he didn't know how he could be forgiven. You and I do, because we know what Jesus did for us. We know how it was achieved on the cross. This is why Jesus is the best news that this, that this world needs. Why he's so powerful. It's why we le need less churchianity and more Christianity, because it's about Jesus and what he's done for us. But if you don't think your sin is that bad or you don't ever reflect on it or think about it, you will never realize how wonderful Jesus is and how beautiful what he did for us. You'll never know how fantastic it is. It's as we remember how bad our sin is and how real our guilt is, we, run to, we realize how wonderful our Savior is and what he's achieved for us. And then, of course, that will change the way we look at other people and treat other people. Very hard to treat other people kind of badly when we know what we've been gifted from our Saviour. Uh, the, the last one, of course, is the... Um, uh, well, no, no, I just want to say, you'll never fully know the depth of the Lord's love or the, the value of the Son's sacrifice if you don't know your own failures. It just won't happen. So it, it gives us a better view of ourselves. It gets us a more wonderful view of our Saviour. Um, uh, but lastly, it, it will give us the motivation we need to share the good news of Jesus. Because when we know what he's done for us, when we know what it's like to have the burden lifted and the ugliness covered and the guilt gone, then we will want that for every other single person. And that'll happen when we focus and acknowledge on ourselves. When we do verse 5, we don't see sin as a downer. We see it as something that Jesus has triumphed over, that we've had washed, and, and we'll, really, we'll just do it differently. So this morning, can I encourage you, if you're here this morning and you've never received that, this wonderful forgiveness, don't be silent. 
Don't be slow. Do it today. Come and see me afterwards. Don't be stubborn. Turn to him. Do what David does. Because then your life will be changed and you will be able to rejoice. But if you've already done that, don't minimise it. Go back to openly acknowledge. Christians should be the, the most humble people around. People who say, yeah, I'm so sorry I did that. Because that leads to thankfulness to my Saviour and a greater appreciation and understanding of his love for me. And that drives me out to share his love with the world. I pray that we would do that. Let me do that now. Father, I thank you for this wonderful psalm on the lips of David. I thank you for what it can mean for us this morning. For some of us, our sin and guilt may be something we've never even considered. I pray that we would so that it would lead to you. But for some of us, it may be something which almost breaks us, which is such a terrible burden. Father, show us the the wonderful relief your son brings. And this morning as we share communion especially, and we remember the means by how this has been done for us, give us hearts like King David's that sings. And I pray this in his mighty name. Amen.